0: Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYourSixCoffee.com, 6 where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted, award winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Carla Royal. Carla has extensive knowledge to share with Get Up Nation developed during her education, which includes a bachelor of arts degree in sociology, a master's of education and counseling. And she's carried credentials during her life of being a national certified counselor, a licensed professional counselor, and is now working as a certified strategic intervention coach and a certified integral master coach. Her clients are amazing people who are smart, capable, and have accomplished amazing things, but may struggle with anxiety, stress, racing thoughts, and sometimes even physical symptoms that can interfere with their work, sleep, or relationships. She helps her clients break through patterns of quiet anxiety, mental chatter, and self-distrust to experience fulfillment, clarity, and greater peace. Something we all could use more of in our turbulent COVID nineteen world. Thank you, Matt Labrie, for connecting me with Carla. Carla, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Ben. It's good to be here.
0: <sighs> to start, will you share with Get Up Nation where you currently live and work?
1: I live in Florida on the West Coast, very near Tampa in a small village called Dunedin, delightful Dunedin. Mm. And I work from home, so it's, it's, it's <laughs> ideal, especially at this time.
0: Excellent. All right, Carla, I'm really looking forward to sharing your expertise with Get Up Nation today to help us all develop a greater ability to live a more fulfilled life. On your website, carloroyal.com, you mentioned that your experience growing up included interactions with people who are anxious stressed and hiding it you've described how on the surface all may have appeared fine but there was an undercurrent of dis-ease alcohol pharmaceuticals food rigidity affairs religion and permissiveness were all ways you witnessed people trying to manage their anxiety how did this affect you and your perception of the world as a child as you experienced this
1: well, you know, like everybody, I had a complicated childhood. It was certainly wonderful in many ways. I never felt like I wasn't loved, but there was a, a lot of dysfunction in the family, anxiety, depression, alcohol affairs, and all of those things that you mentioned. And I'm a very sensitive, I just have kind of a sensitive nature, I think, and I sort of absorbed it all. And, and I'm also quite the introvert, and I just internalized everything. And basically, my entire family internalized everything we didn't we weren't like explosive we were more imploders and so i kept everything internally while trying to probably play the role of peacemaker in my family to some extent and it was just it was really it was it was painful and it was confusing and so i too sort of picked up all of the anxiety and the depression but we all looked perfectly fine on the outside you know, we looked good. We looked successful. In fact, looking good in my family was very, very important. And we attended to that, but we didn't, int- we didn't attend to our interior worlds. And so when I was 25, I was dealing with a lot of depression and I got into some therapy for myself and started dealing with my family trauma. And it was incredibly helpful to sit across from someone who just held space for you and who, who made mirrored you and who accepted you and didn't judge you. And I didn't at that time really know what I wanted to do with my life. I had a sociology degree, but what are you going to do with that? And so I went back to, to, to graduate school and found that I just loved the work of therapy. And that's how I started my career was as a therapist and then eventually became a coach. But I love working with, especially right now I'm working primarily with uh, male, young male entrepreneurs who are highly successful. They look great on the outside. They're doing incredibly well. Everybody's applauding them, but their interior worlds are a little devoid and they don't, they haven't found the meaning they thought they would with all of the success. And it's leading them to some anxiety, some depression. And that's the work that I'm doing with people and that that I love so much because that's the work that I've had to do in my life is to heal in those ways.
0: Well, it's amazing. Uh, You've made it your life's work to help people access their inner wisdom, resourcefulness, and well-being. You decided to help others, you know, quiet our insecurities, our anxieties, and our overactive imaginations. Tell us about your journey and some of the challenges that you experienced along the way, which has made you so powerful in, in helping young people who are experiencing a similar thing that you've experienced.
1: Well, there's so many kind of touch points, Ben, that have been instrumental in my growth. You know, part of what happened to me was, you know, my mother was an alcoholic. My father was very depressed. There was a lot of undercurrent anxiety and depression, as I mentioned. And it just was so confusing for me. And I sort of battled between wanting to be so good, wanting to be so perfect, but also having these normal, I think, high school and college urges to go out and party and drink and things like that. But one of the things that I did when I was 12 was I became a Christian, but it was, a, it was in the fundamentalist Christian world. And I sort of sunk my life into that fully, which in many ways saved my life and I'm eternally grateful. But on the other hand, there was so much judgment and rigidity that it just, I, I fell into a tremendous amount of shame. So I was trying to be this incredibly perfect Christian, which, of course, I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually increased my anxiety in many ways. It gave me a sense of belonging, which I'm incredibly grateful for. But it also taught me that my heart was evil above all else that I couldn't trust myself, that I had to trust an outside authority. And these things were damaging to me so i have this sort of <laughs> love hate relationship with that world and i was in it for quite a long time and worked in the church and and fully and then it wasn't until i was in my later 30s when my mother died that my whole world fell apart mm-hmm. my marriage fell apart i lost my mother at that time i lost my faith i lost my home I lost my beliefs. I lost my vision for the future. Everything I thought I would be, I lost. And it was four or five years of deep, deep, dark soul reckoning. It was very, very messy. I went down to rock bottom. I literally almost lost my life as a result. And people around me were trying to stop me from going down that dangerous path. But somewhere deep inside of me, Ben, I knew that I had to go all the way down in order to save myself. And so that, I call that my breakdown breakthrough time. That was 20 years ago. And it's really informed me, Ben, because you know, you watch people on a messy, dark path, and we want to save people, but the truth is, I don't know what's best for you. You know, only you know the path that you need to take, and sometimes we have to go, we have to hit bottom Before we can really find ourselves. And so that's what I did. It was life transforming. And it's made me now be the kind of coach, uh, be a better therapist, and then ultimately a better coach to be able to hold the space with people when they are going through the dark and murky difficult things in life.
0: Yeah people who are generally in those situations frequently have suicidal ideation frequently you know suicidal thoughts and frequently you know when our world when something like that happens that is so altering to what we understand the world to be certainly we are in a, a an immense amount of pain and want that pain to stop and oftentimes our mind gives us the option of of suicide during those times and grapple with those core issues of Do I want to be alive? Do I want to be here? What kind of world is this? Mm -hmm. What is my place in the world? Do I have any value whatsoever, especially when we're reeling from these deep changes or, you know, deep seated shame or the place where we found home or we found positive interactions to some degree is then taken away or we're banished from it or or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. You know, as you're going through that, were there any kind of moments of where the darkness kind of broke, where where it, you had a moment of deep, deep <laughs> gratitude that, that, or, or some sort of experience or breakthrough? Can you share anything about some of those breakthroughs that happened, whether it was in college where you started to understand the, the therapy world or, or whatever it was? Can you tell us about in those dark places some maybe of the experiences that when it was so dark that the light broke through a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean certainly therapy was helpful to me to help me begin to accept myself more, to, to to see myself in someone else's eyes that were saying, despite not being perfect, I was okay. In terms of my breakdown breakthrough, I did I did go so far as to take two handfuls of pills and ended up in the hospital and sure. and almost died. But but what I know what I know is I had totally planned to do it very differently. In fact, I had said to myself I would never take pills because they weren't weren't reliable and I had a gun and I had a plan. It had gotten that dark, but in the final analysis one night, I didn't go that route because what I know now is that I didn't want to die. I wanted the madness to stop. Right. And I think that so many people who think about suicide, it's really not that they want to die. It's that they want the madness to stop and they don't know how to make it stop. They don't know how to get off that. That, that, you know, whatever that is, they don't know how to get off of it. And so when I did that, which I wasn't trying to kill myself, I know now, because I would have, I would have taken the other option I had well planned out, sure. I wanted to stop the madness. And when I woke up in the ER, I, I can't explain it to you, Ben, but when I woke up, I knew I was fine was like I had run the gauntlet and I had survived and at that moment I was so grateful to be alive and and the madness did stop you know I wish I could tell you exactly how that happened or why that happened but it was an epiphany in that moment I knew I was fine now everyone around me was freaked out and they wanted to send me you know they sent me to the psych ward and then they wanted to send me into treatment i knew i i literally knew i did not need to do that but i did it for them because i knew they needed that but from that point 20 years ago over 20 years ago from that point i was fine the depression was gone now what did happen was the anxiety got a little worse for a few years because I was no longer self-medicating. I was no longer numbing out. And also, I was trying to adjust to an entirely new worldview. I had come out of the fundamentalist Christian world. I no longer had those particular beliefs to support me. I was trying to find a new way. So, that it took it took a while to find my equilibrium, if you will, in, a, in an entirely new world. But I think that people don't want to die. I think people want to stop the madness and they don't know how. And I think that what keeps us so caged or locked up is, is the stories that we have about what's going on in the world, about our childhood, about uh, the circumstances we have. We, we, our brains are so magnificent that they create these dramatic stories. <laughs> we live in those stories and we suffer. So if we can wake up to our stories, we're going to be able to find our way to that light that you mentioned.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. And that's one thing that I wanted to ask you. You know, a lot of young people are experiencing our COVID-19 world and they may be troubled by the actions of adults in their world who are doing their best to cope with the challenges of stress and anxiety in their home. And we're spending more and more time together because of isolation and, Mm -hmm. and rules and restrictions here to try to keep us safe from this virus. But Is there anything that you can share with a young person, who a message of comfort or inspiration, if they're kind of in that situation where adults in their life are doing things that are troubling or concerning as they seek to grapple with the stress and anxiety of this world, any message to them today?
1: Well, what comes to me is a quote by Dr. Maya Angelou, who said, every storm runs out of rain that's not the exact quote but look it up but you know just remember that every storm runs out of rain and this is not permanent and who you are at your essence can't be damaged by this you know the the, the storm will pass it will will pass this is not the way it's going to be forever and I think that there's something about that that can give us a little bit of comfort our brains have a negativity bias we tend to focus on the negative because the brain you know the brain's top two priorities are to keep you safe and to conserve energy and it believes by keeping you aware of all the negative constantly that it's keeping you safe and that was a really good evolved process that our brain put in place to save us when there were saber toothed tigers all around. But we don't live in that kind of world anymore. Our systems are not meant to be in a revved up state constantly. Those revved up states are meant to protect us in imminent danger, but we humans tend to live in that 24 seven and we tend to get really revved up. So part of what we have to do is to bring online this executive functioning part of our brain to override this more primitive part Part of our brain. And we can do that literally by seeking out the good, the true, and the beautiful that's around us all the time, no matter whether it's COVID, political, social unrest. It's always there. You know, right now, my precious little dog is sitting right next to me. My live ancient oaks are outside. It's a beautiful day. The wind is lovely. But I have to sort of override the, the, that part of my brain that wants to focus on the, the negative. And that's why research shows that gratitude journals are actually helpful. It's not woo-woo. It's your priming your brain to see the good, the true, and the beautiful. So every storm runs out of rain. And we have to bring online our executive functioning to look for the good, the true, and the beautiful. And the one other thing I would say is the brain cannot focus on a problem and a solution at the same time. Mm. It can do one or the other, just like you can't multiply or add two large numbers at the same time. It's not that you're not smart enough, it's that the brain can't do it. So if you're constantly focused on the problem, you're not going to see the solution and all the many possibilities that are available to you. So we have to shift in that way.
0: Oh, I love that. And that brings me to another thing. As I was reading your website, like I said before, carlaroyal.com, people need to go there and, and, and check that out if this is resonating with them. One thing that I really liked is that you, you said you, that you create conditions for insights to arise within people. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of people are very much into personal development. A lot of the people I work with are very much into personal development. They've got, you know, 50. 50- self-help books on their, in their library, they've collected a multitude of tools, they're very sincere, they really want to change, and they do all of this and they get some relief for a little while, but they find, oftentimes they find it's not sustainable and they don't know why. And, and what I believe is that we don't change through reading books and through tools and techniques. I'm not saying there's not a place for them, sure. but I, what I'm saying is we change through insight. And when we have insight, then books and tools and techniques can be very useful. So, for example, Ben, you could think of a smoker who desperately wants to stop smoking. They read all the books. They try the patch. They try the tools. They try everything. They stop for a week, and then a week later, they've started back. They haven't had an insight and it's not working for them, then let's say one of these people goes to the doctor. They have an exam. The doctor takes a chest x-ray. The doctor comes back and shows the black chest x-rays, and all of a sudden, that person wakes up in a way that they never have before. They never really had a felt embodied sense of the danger that they're in. And at, from that moment on, they go home, they never smoke again. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen to everybody. But for the people who have a deep insight, that happens. And then they might incorporate some tools that help them. So what what I'm saying is that I can't help my clients. I can't change my clients. Mm-hmm. And really, my clients can't change themselves just through willpower. Mm-hmm. But how they change is through insight through deep awareness and connecting with a deeper part of themselves. So the work I feel like I do with people is helping them create the conditions for which that could happen. So, for example, if I want a butterfly to land on me and I'm flailing around, it's not to say that the butterfly can't land on me. It's just to say that it's less likely. But if I'm standing still, that butterfly may not land on me, but there's a greater chance that it will. So that's what I try to do with my clients is help them create the conditions for which insight can happen so that they can change and transform in the way that they they desire.
0: That's great. And, you know, you mentioned, I love the language that you use. You say people have often grown tired of being guarded and self-conscious and that experience draws them and connects them to you as they hunger for a change. Will you share a little bit about what awaits that person who has grown tired of being guarded and self-conscious?
1: You know, I'm I'm work for whatever reason my practice has really shifted in the last year to working primarily with males. I do have some females, but I've and and young males and young successful entrepreneurial males. And one of the things I notice is I think all men and women do feel this need to project a certain image and to be to be very guarded. I, I know this is true for myself. I want people to see me as wise and calm and good and you know these things and I'm I'm very careful to sort of curate that that image for people. And when that doesn't come across, I I kind of gasp within myself. And, and that's something I've been working on for years. So I think we all have that. But I think men in particular are kind of groomed to be ultra individualistic, and macho and not have the opportunity to have their feelings or to express their feelings, that somehow that's a weakness. So it's such a privilege and honor to work with these men now who are coming along and saying, you know what, this is not working for me. I don't want to be so alone. I don't want to be so individualistic. I do want to be strong. I do want to, you know, kind of be macho, but I don't want it to be all of who I am. And so as they're learning to connect deeply with themselves. They're more able now to begin to connect with other people. I'm working with, with three guys right now that all work together. And it's so exciting to work with the three of them because they're learning the same language and they're reaching out to each other and they're supporting each other in a much deeper way now than just about business. And I, I just I just love that because men have gotten, just they have a terrible burden that society has has really put on them, you know, innocently, not innocently, I don't know. So it's such a privilege to, to offer them a chance that they get to go out there and be really successful and bold and brilliant, but they also get to be who they are with all of their messy humanness, with their imperfections, and with their softer side, which I won't call feminine because softer is not exclusive to femininity
0: as the stigma of mental illness starts to lessen and as people start to really recognize, especially during the stress of COVID-19, that the effect of stress, the effect of, these things that happen that are normal. There's anxiety and depression, mental illnesses. You know, once we start viewing it for what it is, which is basically, you know, if, if I broke my arm, I would go to the doctor and I would get it fixed. And if I have depression, there's nothing wrong with me going to the doctor. It doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm a coward. It doesn't mean those things. And, and especially with the epidemic suicide rate of veterans who are coming back, you know, the nation said, we want you to go fight this war to keep us safe. And they're still fighting it. We are, like you had talked about the darkness that, that you were going through. And I'm really excited about our world today because there are a lot of people who are experiencing these things. And there's, a, there's more and more language and media being shared about how we can be healthy in response to that. And certainly the answer is not to drink it away. Certainly the answer is not to just suck it up and, and drive on and drink water and take ibuprofen and just keep drinking our way into being the tough guy because we lose our relationships, we lose our children, we lose our marriages, we lose our self-respect, and we die very troubling lives that, that could be could have been much more fulfilled. And so I, I, I am so grateful for people like you who are reaching into this darkness and are actually providing rescue, hope. And practical, real tools to help young people, you know, live a fuller life, live a healthier life where they're able to show all sides of them and not be shamed for it. Very beautiful thing that you're doing and uh, really appreciate your work. And read, you know, on your website that you, when, and it's clear in talking with you that your, you know, what you teach people to do. It's not just you sharing knowledge out of a book that you read somewhere. This is something that you've lived, breathed, bled. And experience for yourself. So there is a a knowledge level there. That's not just a cognitive level. It's, it's way bigger than that. It's wider and deeper and richer than that. And you know how Mm -hmm. it feels flagged with overactive imagination mental chatter, anxiety. And then how is it as you look back and you think of everything that you've been through and, and, and all of these experiences, and now you see these young men awakening to this gift that, that if you had, ultimately, if something had happened to you uh, to the point where you did not survive through, through all of that, those men would may, may have never gotten the breakthrough that they were looking for. These, so now you get to look And in a certain way, part of you did die, but uh, an element of dysfunction or an element of madness that that, you know, has passed. And now you're in this place where you've learned a million lessons and now you're giving these gifts. How satisfying is that for you to see that happen, to live that every day?
1: It, it's so incredible. I, I just feel like the luckiest person. I love what I do. You know, I was on a call yesterday with a, high, a very successful entrepreneurial guy. And I was saying to him, you know, man, you know a whole lot more about business than I do. Because, you know, you're you you you're rocking the business world. And it took me a long time to figure out how to rock the business world because I was doing something different. I was really doing my interior work Mm -hmm. and so all those years I was doing my interior work which really people were saying you know you really need to get on it with your with your career Carla but I was doing something really different. I was dealing with the interior world and learning these things that you're talking about and that's why people seek me out is because they don't seek me out for business advice Although we, we do talk about business because it's all kind of, it's not so distinguishable because mindset is so important with business. But they seek me out because they are looking for something in their interior world that they did not find through making all the money and that they thought they would find. That meaning, that satisfaction, that joy, uh, you know, after that initial excitement wears off. And and so, yes, it's incredibly satisfying to know that all those years that some people thought I might have been wasting, I was doing something so valuable that I could then share with my clients who, at this point, I'm 60 and these guys are, you know, from 25 to 35. They feel like my sons. I love them like that. I love them so much like that. So, yes, it's a joy. And if I can save them some decades of suffering, (laughs) I would love to, I would love to do that.
0: I love it, and and that's the thing. You know, we're experiencing kind of a revolution in our educational system, or it's starting, or you know, as we do as as it shifts, and and as people go to, through these educational processes, and you know, we're taught skills, or we're taught these programs to to do it, but but it doesn't totally encapsulate all that we are. We there's a much deeper. I guess, amount of what we are. It's not necessarily just a cognitive function, memorizing these steps or this skill, and that's going to breed this happiness. And people are hungry for that. So you're pioneering and innovating in this world because you dared to address it and face it and look at it and suffer through it. And now you give the greatest gifts. Whereas, you know, a more superficial approach of, I just have to learn this skill. I'm going to pay a college, you know, $100,000. I'll come out in debt and I'll maybe find a job and then I'll be depressed. Like there is a whole other level to human development that, that is not being encapsulated here. And so for you to spearhead and innovate and lead people to wholeness, I think that is something that our education system is hungry for and will draw from your expertise to help us create something that's much more on target, accurate, and effective. So some of your clients, they've described in their own words how you've helped them. They've described that they are now, because of their contact with you, they're more compassionate, they have better sleep they trust themselves more, they're proactive in their behavior, they complete long-term projects instead of letting them fester or or not be completed, they have new friendships, they have repaired relationships, they're more effective as leaders, and they have less overwhelm, more health, and better finances. I just wanted to ask you, because some of those things are vital components of resilience, and this show really focuses on the concept of resilience. Resilience. I just would like to ask, when Mm -hmm. you think of resilience, when you think of that concept, will you share just your perspective on that and how people can have a little bit more resilience in their life every day?
1: I believe that we just innately have resilience, that that's who we are, and that we never have any more or any less resilience, but we have too much on our minds (laughs) Mm-hmm. And and that clouds our ability to connect with our natural resilience. You know, you mentioned when you break a bone, you go to the doctor and they they cast the bone. What, what? But but the doctor actually doesn't heal that bone. Your body just innately heals the bone. You don't heal it. The doctor doesn't heal it. What you do is you give it a little bit of support, and then you leave it alone. What, what people don't understand and what old psychology didn't understand that newer psychology and neuroscience is showing is that our psychological system is just the same. Our psychological system is always seeking equilibrium. And just like our physical body, it, the minute we have a psychological emotional injury... Our our psychological system goes to work to, to heal it. And what it needs from us is just a little bit of support and not to tinker too much. Old psychology, you would go into the therapist's office and you would relive the stories about your parents again and again and week after week, year after year after year after year. And that's ultimately why I stopped because I saw that it it wasn't really working and it was painful and it was slow. Not to say there was no benefit, there was. But newer psychology is like, you know, go ahead, you know, you do, you need to talk about it. You need to tell your story. But then move on. Don't tinker too much. You can trust your system to return to equilibrium over time. And even trauma research is showing this. And so resilience is something we need more of. We have all we need, but as we take things off of our mind and settle ourselves and tune into who we really are at our essence, which is star stuff, which is divinity, which is eternal, which cannot be damaged. As we tune into that and as we take things off of our mind, we're more able then to act access that resilience that we already have. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, I tell my clients, I think you've got two problems. You've got too much on your mind, and you don't know who you really are. And so that's kind of the work that we do, which it's really interesting that entrepreneurial people that are so successful in the business world would come to somebody like me for this woo woo stuff, which is not really all that woo woo. It's actually based in neuroscience that they're willing to to really consider that and see how that makes sense for them and what a relief it is to them as they learn to settle their minds and learn to tune into who they really are.
0: All right, Carla, we've gotten to the the final section of the show. I always end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you Uh, do these six quick questions with me? Yes, sir. All right, who are you thankful for today?
1: You know, I'm thankful for my partner who is my biggest fan and supporter and believes in me and helps me do this um, amazing work that I do. Yeah, I would say my partner today.
0: And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today?
1: I'm really thankful to have this opportunity to be on here with you, Ben, because the work that you do and the service that you offer to people in, in this world of resilience is so incredibly important. And I've watched and listened to some of your podcasts, and it, and it's truly an amazing gift that you're giving your listeners and your audience. And so it just feels like such an honor to be here with you today, and I'm grateful for that.
0: Well, that's, I'm I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for you to say that. And I'm so happy to have you here and sharing these things. You've certainly, uh, I'll be thinking about this conversation for the rest of the week, and it will definitely improve me, you know, and some of the things that that I deal with each day. And so I am so grateful that we had this time as well. So I want to ask next, how do you fuel the fire within you?
1: Nature is probably the biggest way. Nature and music and photography are probably the three things. I'm a singer. I'm a photographer. We have a little boat that we go out on into the uh, Gulf and and we just, nature is very, very healing, music and photography. Yeah.
0: All right. What is one thing adversity taught you to value?
1: Adversity taught me to value myself. And that I do have all the answers within me and that I can find my way no matter how bad the storm, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how deep it gets, that I really can trust myself. I can trust my heart. I can trust the path that that is mine alone.
0: And what are you doing today? You may have never thought you could.
1: I'm running a successful business. <laughs> Which, as I mentioned before, was something that I really struggled with for so many years because I was, doing, I was doing something really different, although there was a lot of cultural pressure to come back to my career, and I really kind of put that on hold to do the interior work. So I'm thrilled that I'm running a successful and exciting business.
0: Excellent. And what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could?
1: You know, I have to say, Ben, that life continues to take me in unexpected directions, and I think it would be Kind of uh, in a way. Plus, we know from brain science that that, that the brain is horrible at predicting the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that tomorrow I'm going to be so surprised, but what by what unfolds and what life brings to me that I'm not even going to recognize probably whatever comes my way, and I'm going to be so grateful for it.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right, all right, Carla, it's been great talking with you today. I really appreciate your time and your insights here. How can people learn more about you and your amazing work?
1: They can visit me at CarlaRoyal.com. I do offer a free initial session for anybody because I want to make certain that we have a good connection and that I can actually help people. So I offer that. I also have a podcast that I've just started recently with a colleague called Riffing on Realness. You can find that on all the major things. And we just riff. We riff about being more real in the world and how that can be helpful to us. So you can connect with me there as well. And of course, the social media platforms at Carla Royal.
0: Excellent. And all those show notes and social handles will be in uh, the notes uh, down below. So please like, subscribe and, and follow Carla and her amazing work. Carla, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Ben.